0: First, this is not good news. Okay, Paris Wade, that a Liberty Writers, we'll news. News. Liberty Writers news. How many of you feel like every time you walk into your home or you walk into church, there's this sense of leaving this noise? It's constant noise, bad news, news of some kind, and it's just loud in our lives. I, I hope this becomes a sanctuary, a space where we're reminded of what the truth is. That's what the series is really all about, is just really sharing seven core truths to the Christian faith. But we're looking at it beyond just what are things to believe, what are truths that we can say in our, with, with our words. That's not enough, because true belief doesn't just find itself in the words that we say. Uh, True belief is found in the actions that we pursue. So what we really believe is not always what we say we believe. It's our actions, it's our values, it's our priorities that show the true belief that we have. We've discovered this with several simple truths so far. Uh, Last week, we we talked about the fact that Jesus is Lord, that he's the image of the invisible God. And if that's true, what does that shape in our lives? How does that change us? And so we talked about Jesus, but today we're going to talk about the next uh, figure of the Godhead that we've been singing about this morning, the Holy Spirit. I'm excited to share with you uh, more this morning about that. I know everyone loves Jesus, but what Jesus had to say about the Spirit is that someone greater was coming, and I'm excited to to share more about that in just a moment. Let's pray as we open God's Word this morning. Our God, our Father, we uh, we come before you, and we invite your Spirit, God, to do which only your Spirit can do—to provide encouragement to provide corrective, to point us in the right direction, God. God, where there's encouragement needed, I pray that encouragement would be found today in you and in your spirit. God, we ask for your spiritual gifts to be formed in our lives so that we might be a people who edify and build up the church, that do the best we can, God, to represent your kingdom in this world that needs it so desperately. This morning, God, I... uh, Pray that you would pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I want to start with a question this morning. If you could have dinner with anybody who's ever lived in history, you had one chance to share a meal, who would that person be? Be a historical figure? Maybe somebody you've read a biography about sometime, you'd like to ask some questions. It could be a family member maybe that you, uh, you, you wish was here that you maybe heard about years ago or that you miss desperately. And now, who is that person in your life? I want you to think about that for just a moment. My answer is Jesus, which is pretty cliche for the preacher to say, right? But I, I'm, I'm serious about that. If I could choose anyone who's ever lived on the earth, could have a meal with that person, be Jesus. I I just, I imagine what it was like for those early disciples to be there at that meal with Jesus. You know, the 5,000 that were around and Jesus feeds 5,000 people, at least the men who were there. And I I know this is a cliche answer, but I would love to see that act. I'd love just to sit around table to be able to feel the divine uh, person, fully God, fully man, to actually be in his presence. Can you imagine what it would have been like to hear him preach, to see him heal people of diseases, people who were demon-possessed to come to sanity? Because Jesus is God in the flesh. What would it be like to touch the divine? But if if you'd live with him for three years, like the disciples, imagine what life would have been like after that. Imagine what it would have been like after Jesus is gone, and now you've got to go on with life as it was before you met him. Be Incredibly hard, anticlimactic, wouldn't it? I mean, think about that for just a moment, right? I mean, I, I think about this in terms of high school football in North Texas. That's kind of what that's like. Some of these guys, they're playing in front of tens of thousands of people at AT&T Stadium, and then they've got to know the rest of their lives, there's never going to be that many people who view anything that they do, right? Downer, right? I think about that in a lot of areas of life, how we have these moments where things are so good, but then things change and they're shaped. And, but back to Jesus. Uh, at the end of Jesus' life, He keeps coming back to a promise with his disciples that's supposed to bring them comfort in a season of difficulty. He keeps coming back to a gift that these disciples are going to receive. I want to share with you several passages that remind us of what Jesus reminded the disciples of, that when he leaves, when he's gone from the earth, this is what you're going to have in in, in place of who I am. So turn with me, if you would, first to, to Matthew chapter 28, Matthew 28. It's the great commission. We read this a lot about the commission we're given, but I want you to hear again, the words that Jesus gives his disciples as he leaves the earth, the promise and the comfort that he offers. This is Matthew 28, beginning in verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the Holy spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Did you catch that promise? That, those final words. We talk a lot about the mission that God gives. But the promise of his presence is such an important thing. The promise is I will go with you wherever you go. Even after I'm gone, I'll be with you. to The very end of the age. But I guess the question I would ask is, how does that reality or how does that promise square with the reality that we face today, the square with the reality of these disciples who aren't going to have Jesus in just a few uh, days, perhaps? And, and to talk about that, I want to talk again, just remind you another place where this comes up. It's, it's out of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1. Listen to how this book starts. And again, the promise, it sounds real similar to Matthew 28, how this all uh, ends with Jesus before he ascends to the Father. It says there, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised which you've heard me speak about for John baptized with water. But in a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times and the dates. The father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. So Jesus leaves in verse 9, but again, what was his promise? How will Jesus never leave them? And the promise is there's a spirit that's coming, the Holy Spirit. You need to wait in Jerusalem for this Holy Spirit to come down on you. Now, if I'm the disciples, what I want to say is, "No, Jesus, we want you, not this gift you promised. That's not comfort because you, Jesus, we we've, we've been spending 3 years with you. That can't be better. What could possibly be better than Jesus?" but according to Jesus, there actually is something better than Jesus with us. And I find that remarkable. In fact, I find that unbelievable to some degree. But if Jesus is God, as I said last week, then I have to trust in the words of his teaching. So I want to talk more about this from another place that talks about this promise of the advocate, the spirit. It's in John 14 through 16. It's a section of three chapters where Jesus is with some terrified disciples. They're right there at the Lord's supper and there's a, a discourse that Jesus shares with his disciples as a promise of comfort to them. John 14 is the beginning of this passage. And this passage is meant to be a word of comfort, kind of his last words of blessing on his disciples before he leaves. And again, they're terrified because they've heard that Jesus is going to die. He's said this and they don't quite understand. But but in the midst of that terrified uh, situation that the disciples are in, Jesus promises them some things, trying to bring comfort. I want you to hear and listen as if, does this really provide comfort to you if you were in that scenario? John 14, beginning in verse 16. And I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. So again, Jesus tells him, I'm going to be leaving. But there's this advocate, the spirit of truth that's going to come to you that you'll need most in this season that's ahead. You see the connections that are being made here? From Matthew, this promise of I'll always be with you, to this promise in Acts 1 of this Spirit that they need to wait on to John 14 to 16, where Jesus says, Hey, here's the promised one that's coming. Verse 26 goes even further to make the connection. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Jesus is even clearer in this passage that this advocate is the Holy Spirit of God. And the Spirit is going to promise to teach them all things and will remind them of everything Jesus said to them. But perhaps the most crazy passage out of all these comes in John 16, this promise again of the spirit. Listen to these words in verse 7, John 16, 7. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Let me read that one more time very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Just let that sink in for a moment. Here's Jesus who they spent three years with, who's about to leave them. And what he says is, hey, guess what? It's good I'm going away. Because what you're about to receive is even better than my presence here. If I'm the disciple, I'm thinking, what are you talking about, Jesus? Just stay here with us. No gift you can offer could be greater than your presence. And Jesus' answer is, no, no, no. If I don't go away, this great gift cannot come. In other words, it's better to have the Holy Spirit than it is to have Jesus. And even though Jesus says that, I don't think we believe that, do we? Do we really believe that the gift of the Holy Spirit that indwells us right now is better than living with Jesus. I mean, if given the choice to live with Jesus for three years or to have this promised Holy Spirit indwell me for the rest of my life, I think I'd opt for Jesus, even if it's just for three years. But according to Jesus, that's the wrong decision. Apparently, it's better to have the Holy Spirit indwell us than it is to have the short presence of Jesus with us. How could that be? How could it be that we would trade Jesus, right? The divine human in flesh that we could touch, that we would have full faith in. This would be the greatest gift to never doubt again if we saw Jesus resurrected. To see the the, the, the nail marks in his hand and his side and be able to touch those things as proof of the resurrection. That that is not as good as the spirit of God that he promises to us. I think I know why that may be. I've been struggling with this this week, and I've been thinking, well, why, why is this a better gift? Why does Jesus say it's better that I go so that the Spirit may come? And I think it's I think it's because to have God walking beside you is one thing, but to have God living inside you is a whole other thing, isn't it? Think back to the Old Testament. At the beginning of the story, God is kind of creates the world, and he's standing back. But then in the cool of the garden in Genesis 3, he's walking with Adam and Eve, and later on there's sin that kind of distorts things, but God shows up again, right? He shows up in this tabernacle that they take around with them through the wilderness. But he's always in this one room, the Holy of Holies, right? And, and and only one guy can go in just once a year, the high priest, but at least God's presence is with them. But a whole new thing happens when Jesus comes into the world, because now God's not in some room, someplace, just once a year being able to touch him and see him and one person go in now, Jesus is there and you can touch and you can feel and you can hear him and you can use all five senses to take in God. But, but a whole nother step happens here in Acts chapter two, doesn't it? Because now it's not a God you can touch. Now it's, it's God who's living inside each and every one of us all across the world. Not just in the geographical location that Jesus stands, but all across the world, God's people are indwelled with the spirit and they get to walk everywhere and touch people around them, God is always just a step or a touch away from us, even within us. And it's time for the church to actually believe that, to experience the power of belief in this spirit. And and that helps me understand why Jesus says what he does. And in John chapter 14, verse 12, these are crazy words as well. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. What did Jesus say? Run that back, Jesus. Are you serious about this? You're telling me that we'll do the same things you did on the earth and even greater things than those. Look around for a minute. (laughs) Is that our experience of life and community? Is that our experience of the kingdom of God is, yeah, man, we're glad we're past the time of Jesus because that was just a poor time where they didn't experience near what we do today. We have this sense of distance from God, don't we? The sense of disenchantment that God actually isn't doing anything in the world anymore. That Yeah, maybe with the early Christians in the first century, there was a time where God healed people and... And, and, and writers wrote inspiring words in Scripture, but that, that's all time in the past. But I want you to reflect just for a moment. In fact, I want to take a moment of silence. I just want you to reflect on these two truths that we just shared right out of Scripture. The first is this. We're better off with the Holy Spirit than the disciples were with Jesus. That's what Jesus says to us. And number two, we ought to be doing everything Jesus did in even greater things. Just take a moment, sit with that, and just kind of dwell, let those words roll over in your mind for a moment. Do you believe that? That's hard for me to believe, and yet these are the red letters. These, this isn't just anyone saying this. This is right in the Bible, and it's the words of Jesus saying, be glad that I'm leaving, because what's about to come, you won't believe. Simple truth number five is this. The Holy Spirit gifts believers to edify and empower the church. Now, I know we have different backgrounds when we come into this conversation. It's important to acknowledge those. I know some didn't grow up in church at all, and we're so glad that you're here because you see these words afresh and remind us of what's possible. We forget sometimes in lived reality of life in the kingdom. Others of you grew up in churches that really taught against the Holy Spirit, that that was maybe just the Bible that the Spirit spoke through at one point, and 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 that was really the Spirit's work. And once Scripture was completed, that was kind of the the end of that. Others of you grew up in churches where really things were just silent about the Spirit of God because no one really knew what to say or teach. It was mystery, and so it was easier just not to touch it and say something wrong about the Spirit of God. But others of you grew up in churches where it was almost the obsession of the church, perhaps. You had to manifest certain gifts, perhaps, to be shown that you were one of the saved. We all come from different experiences with this Spirit of God. I know I came from different experiences. I I came from a church that was mostly silent about the Holy Spirit. Um, I know my parents had different experiences that I learned of as I grew older. I, kn- I know also that you know, I, I grew up in a, going to a private school that had different ideas about the Holy Spirit as well. But I'm learning more and more about the Spirit. And I, I long to know more and experience more of the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you. I, one, one of these days, I plan to come back and maybe do a sermon series about the spirit because I think there's so much more that we need to know, understand and experience and live out. There's a couple of things that I want to say this morning about the spirit. I just want to affirm in the midst of maybe some confusion about who the Holy Spirit is. Number one is this, the Holy Spirit is still alive and doing stuff. It's important for us to acknowledge that because there've been some of us that have grown up that that have been taught to not believe that, that. Really, that was just kind of something that was done in the past and not something that it really matters today, that one scripture was complete, that was kind of it, or you know, those early apostles, they maybe touched something special that Jesus promised, but those words that Jesus gives to the early church are words that are written to us as well. We're supposed to experience greater things than even while Jesus was on the earth, and I don't know what all that that means, but I want to know more about it. I think about a passage in Acts chapter 2, probably our favorite chapter in Churches of Christ, right? Acts 2, 38. I'll read it, but we've all memorized it probably, right? Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a promise. It's important to read verse 39 because it doesn't end there. The promise is for you, those who are present in the moment at Pentecost, and for your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord, our God will call. See, this promise includes us, doesn't it? Not just the people who were present, not just their children, all who were far off. You were thought of when this text was put together. The Spirit was promised to you. The Holy Spirit is not a relic of the past. The Holy Spirit is alive and is doing things. And it's important for us to acknowledge those things and not deny it, not to resist. Second, the Holy Spirit gifts believers for a purpose. There's a purpose that scripture talks about that we are gifted by the Spirit for. First Corinthians 12 is the place I'd like to spend some time in these chapters. There's about three chapters in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 that Paul talks about some abuses and tries to reform the church there around what the Spirit of God is and the gifts that are given. And this is what it says in 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Paul is saying, look, all of us, every single one of us, are gifted by the Holy Spirit with spiritual gifts. All followers of Jesus have been invested with these things. We don't all have the same gifts. That's pretty obvious, isn't it? I some of us are more creative and, and, and work with our hands in amazing ways. Some of us are, are given the gift of speech and are able to remember things and be able to be a teacher. Some of us are, are people of, of service who every time we get a chance, or and I know people in this church who they write cards and that's their spiritual gift of encouragement. Some of you know who that is. Are several of us that have that gift. Some serve in more public ways, some in more private ways. But what Paul's trying to say is, look, we don't rank the gifts based on how public a gift is displayed, or the fame and honor, or maybe the echelons that we tend to give. We tend to rank spiritual gifts, don't we? We do the same thing as the Corinthian church did. And Paul says, no, you you don't rank them. It's the same spirit, and the whole body needs all of these gifts. Listen to verse 7. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given. Why is it given? It says right there, for the common good. You were given spiritual gifts, not so that you can point to yourself or you can be blessed personally by those gifts. You were given spiritual gifts for the common good, the body of Christ. We were given spiritual gifts to benefit the larger whole, to bless the community. In this case, it's to bless the community of faith. And following this, Paul goes into an analogy in chapter 12 about the body of Christ. And he says, look, this body of Christ, you think about it, like everybody has more public parts and more private parts, right? Everybody needs ears and it needs a sense of vision. It needs a sense of touch and even even kidneys and a liver, a heart. You couldn't have a thriving body just with the external parts you can see. Paul says the same thing is true about the local church. You're the body of Christ and every part's important. Right now we have people that aren't even in this room that are serving our children in ways that are incredible, aren't they? There's a patience they show that sometimes I don't with my own kids. And I'm grateful they get formed in ways by the gospel of Christ that they don't get with me in the same way. I'm grateful for the teaching they receive. It's amazing the thing, things my kids reflect back to me that I never said to them. It's the community of faith that's pouring into them. Think about people that every week come up here and they, they serve by just cleaning the communion trays and refilling them. Quiet service that we don't often think about. Think about people who visit hospital rooms and have the gift of walking people through the process of grief and bereavement. I think about all kinds of roles that the body of Christ needs. It, it, we, we don't rank gifts by those that are more public. Every single part is important. And it's important that we don't rank people above others. Each part serves a different function. But These functions, these gifts have been served to, to bless the body at large. I want you to hear me this morning, church, clearly. Spirit, your spiritual gift is not given your personal benefit. You are not gifted in order to draw attention to yourself through the gift that you have. You're gifted to bless the kingdom of God. You're gifted to bless the common good, to edify and build up God's church. You've been gifted for the common good, Paul says. And he says it again in chapter 14, a little bit later. Listen to these words. Verse one, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit, but the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. You hear the refrain over and over again then. The spiritual gifts that are most necessary the most useful are the ones that build up the body, that edify the church. Paul says it again in verse 12. So it is with you, since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. Look, Spiritual gifts are wonderful things, but the highest use of our spiritual gifts is always in community with others. It's always building up the church as God intends to build the church. The word there for build up is the word oikodomeo. Uh, It it just means simply to build or to restore or to establish. If you were an architect in those days or a construction worker, your job was, you were an oikodomeo basically, right? You were a builder. You you set plans out and you build this thing up from the ground up. And, And in 1 Corinthians 3, all through this, this book, actually, 1 Corinthians, he uses this term over and over again about building up. All those terms about edify or build up the church is the same term, but he, he starts using it in chapter 3, verse 9. Listen listen to this. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I lay the foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. See, God is building a building, right? Not a building with that we walk into on Sunday morning. It's not a sanctuary, but God is building his church. He's oikodomeoing. And how does he do that? He lays a foundation. The foundation is Jesus Christ. And what we begin to do is we walk in beside that with the blueprint that he has, and we begin to construct walls. We begin to, to, to build in function. We begin to make sure pipes are laid as they should be. We, we, we lay out all the children. We, we do all that we need to do Using our gifts to build up, to edify, to oiko domeo this structure that God is working in. And, and this is why I have a problem with people who talk about spirituality as just this internal journey, as if spirituality is just God's relationship with me personally. It's really popular right now to talk about being spiritual but having no connection to a community. But the reason the Spirit gifts us. It's not so we can walk in isolation away from others or stay away from a church that has all kinds of problems. The reason we're gifted by the Spirit of God is to build up the body at large. That's really hard to do if you're not connected in some way with others that are in community, that are walking beside you, building alongside you. And this is why we were gifted. We were gifted to build. We were gifted to edify. We were gifted to oikodomeo. Each of us are gifted in our church. Our body will only be as effective as the spiritual gifts that God has given to each and every one of us being utilized in the ways that we're gifted to build. You, each and every one of you, you've been gifted in specific ways. And those gifts were handed to you, not for your own benefit, not to build your own business, not to do any of those things. Those gifts were given to you to build the church, to walk into God's kingdom and do the next step of what's needed. And some of you are going to contribute from your places of strength. Some of you have tremendous gifts. And they're so obvious to everyone around you. Sometimes it's hard to see it yourself and you need others to call that out in you. Some of those are real public gifts, but some are more like, like Barnabas, right? The son of encouragement, right? I think about Barnabas and I think that's a gift. that was obvious, the strength that he had. But I want to push this morning, not just on the strengths that we have, but God definitely pours strengths into us. But I want to tell you, God also uses our weaknesses for the sake of his kingdom. Sometimes our spiritual gifts aren't just strengths. They're situations we've walked through that have been some of the most difficult in our lives and God uses them for his glory. I love how Paul puts this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul is dealing with, or 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I should say. Paul's dealing with what he calls a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it is exactly. But he's dealing with a struggle and he's praying to God. Three times he lifts up this prayer to God. God, would you take this away from me? How many of you can relate to that, right? Praying to God for him to keep moving, to do something. He doesn't seem to do it. And Paul finally gets a word from God about this in verse 9. But he said to me, this is Paul talking about what God said. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. God has a way of taking our weaknesses, our wounds, our sin, and redeeming those things, and restoring those things, and using them for his glory. See, it's not just the strengths or the things we like to talk about that are good about us that he uses. He uses our flaws, and he he reworks those, and he uses them in incredible ways to bless the people around us if we're open to it. Every time God redeems a sinner, there's a story as a result. Every time God delivers us through a test, there's a testimony on the other side. Some of the greatest ministries are as a result of great pain in people's lives. Great sin, great weakness. And one of the ministries at Greenville Oaks that really likes to highlight this, I think, along with many others we could talk about this morning, but one of them is, is Celebrate Recovery. Celebrate Recovery tells stories each and every week. Every other week, there's a testimony and there's a teaching the other weeks. But every week, there's a sharing, a burden, of weakness, of challenge. And God moves us through those things. And, and out on the other side, there's always a testimony. There's always a story of what God does. And I wish almost every single week we could tell those stories. There's accountability issues for not being able to tell all of them, but sometimes people are willing to share their celebrate recovery meets every Wednesday night at 7 PM. I'm telling you, this can change your life. If some of you are, you've been struggling with the same thing over and over again, or maybe you're just wondering what's the next step in my spiritual journey. I'm stuck. And I don't know what it looks like. You don't even have to know what your issue is. You, you walk in and worship and those loving people would love to take you to the next step. I'll tell you this this ministry's changed my life. And I've told that story before here. And I believe deeply in the ministry of Celebrate Recovery. And, and today, um, we're going to hear a story from Lee, who was willing to share his story on video. This is a story about God using some pain and some difficulty. But God's going to get the glory as a result of him being willing to share that story today. So check this story out.
1: Several years ago, I had a falling out with my daughter. I said and did things. I would regret forever. We no longer contacted each other. My irrational thinking, why is she doing this to me? I did not mean it. Why is she being so hard-headed? She will have to call. I will not call her. After all, I'm her father. She has to respect me. As time went on, I went into depression and cut myself off from everyone. I eventually started meeting with a friend. One day at our meeting, a friend of his from Celebrate Recovery came to talk to me. He told me about CR and the step study. I might be interested, I said. I went to Celebrate Recovery meeting. I was looking for any excuse to leave. I found nothing but friendly and warm people, no excuses for me. My purpose for going to Celebrate Recovery, I was a mess and could not fix myself. Three of the eight Celebrate Recovery principles that changed my life. Openly examine and confess my faults to myself, to God, and to someone I trust. Voluntarily submit to every change God wants to make in my life and humbly ask him to remove my character defects evaluate all my relationships offer forgiveness to those who have hurt me and make amends for harm I've done to others except one to do so would harm them or others God shows me the way I made amends to my daughter who forgave me I now see my daughter and granddaughters regularly all glory to God thank you
0: All glory to God. God is good. And he sometimes uses our strengths in the most amazing ways. And he humbles us through the use of those gifts. And it builds up the body and it's wonderful, isn't it? And sometimes he takes our weaknesses He takes our moments of greatest failure and he doesn't define us by those moments, but he changes the lives of others by what he does to bring restoration and reconciliation and healing. And we want to keep telling those stories. because we believe God is a God who continues to do those things. And let me tell you, that's a miracle. Every time it happens in the life of a person, it's a miracle miracles are not just these supernatural things that we think we have to be beyond the scope of what doctors can understand and explain. Miracle is a transformation of a human life. A miracle is a reconciliation of relationship where it wouldn't happen otherwise. And miracles happen all the time. And boy, when we stay silent about the miracles in our lives, we, we miss an opportunity to give God the glory for it. So I'm grateful for Lee being willing to share his story with us today but I think about your own life. And I want to lead us here in our group discussion as we close our time this morning. Uh, There's a question I want us to consider today. I want us to talk about the Holy spirit. I want us to remind ourselves that we ought to be experiencing greater things. This is a good thing that Jesus leads to the spirit can come. These are incredible statements we should dwell on, but every one of these beliefs about the spirit should lead us to some kind of action. Otherwise we don't really believe it. So here's what I want to challenge you with today. Since we believe the Holy spirit gifts believers to edify and empower the church. How is the spirit doing that in your life? And it may take others in your group who are able to see things you can't see in this moment who call that out of you. But right now, once you think about this, if we believe the spirit of God does this, we've got to be able to name that in our own lives. We're witnesses of the spirit's work in one another's lives so that we can testify to the test that God has brought us through. That's our job. It's to witness to God's work. And uh, let me remind you, if, if maybe you're wondering if that happens still today, let me encourage you Wednesday night. 7 p.m. Show up here at the building. You'll be greeted by some people in blue shirts that will be real kind and welcoming. And you'll see God at work. If you've never been before, we just encourage you to come maybe for the first time this week. But, uh, but we're going to struggle with this question this week. How is the Spirit doing that in my life? How do we see that in each other's lives? Uh, let's close in prayer today. God, we, we ask today for your Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit does so often, God. God, many of us have been praying for, for years, praying for that sin to go away, praying for a relationship to be restored, praying for a child to return to the faith. God, our prayers are offered. And just like the psalmist, God, sometimes lament is the only place we can come to you from, but it's an honest lament. God, it's a desire for your spirit to come and do what only can be done through your transformation. So God, we invite your Holy Spirit into our lives yet again. We pray that these greater days and greater things would be seen in our generation, God, and not just in the first century. And God, we trust Jesus' words, that as much as we believe in Jesus and we believe that he's Lord, in no way do we diminish that. But God, we want to not diminish the Spirit either. And we want to receive this gift that your son promised that was good that he left so that we can receive what you have to offer. This morning, God, we pray all this And offer all this up in the name of Jesus. Amen.